right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports. It's now Monday, December 21st, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined by Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini, and uh, Norlander and I were get to spend quality time together in Brooklyn on Saturday. We saw Bryce Johnson get benched uh, for cussing and then ball out during North Carolina's win over UCLA. Then we watched Ohio State upset Kentucky, and we're going to get to that, uh, plus Monmouth, plus Butler, plus some other things later on, but it seems appropriate to start with the big news of the day. Uh, honestly, if you're wondering why we got to the podcast a little later today, it's because as we were getting ready to talk, uh, breaking news, uh, Denzel Valentine, the, I think this is fair to say, National Player of the Year favorite at this point, uh, going to be sidelined for two to three weeks, uh, minor knee surgery, apparently uh, suffered an injury attempting a layup in Sunday night's practice, uh, had surgery early on Monday, expected to be out two to three weeks. Sam Vicini, I'll start with you. How big of a deal is this for the Michigan State Spartans, the top-ranked Spartans? Well, it's an incredibly big deal. I think that's pretty clear. I mean, he takes something like 30% of their shots, uh, is second in the country in assist rate. Like, he is their, I don't want to say their entire offense, but uh, their offense certainly revolves around him like uh, Earth revolves around the sun. Uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that. Like, they are incredibly uh, incredibly dependent on him on that end of the floor. So it's going to be interesting to see like how uh, this kind of goes, you know, like who do you, they're going to start Aaron Harris, it looks like, but Tom Izzo hasn't really been quiet. We'll say about how uh, his development has gone thus far this season, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, I guess this means more ball for Tum Tum Nairn to try and create. It, it's, it puts them in a position where they could they could lose to Oakland tomorrow, I would say. I mean, that that's not out of the question. Kay Felder's really good. Uh, Oakland has a few other really nice pieces, uh, and that's at a neutral floor. I believe it's at the Palace and Auburn Hills. Correct. So that, that's kind of going to be a fun game now. Oh, I, um, I actually, even um, without knowing that Denzel was going to be sidelined, thought it was going to be a fun game no matter what. Now it's a winnable game for Oakland. I'm not predicting an Oakland win, but it wouldn't be crazy to think Oakland could, could get this done on a neutral court because they do have the type of dynamic player um, who can put, uh, you know, uh, you know, who, who can carry a team to a big-time win in a 40-minute basketball game, and that's the kid you mentioned, Kay Felder. By the way, I talked to Kay uh, this morning and his coach, Greg Campy, at Oakland, and I'll be writing a column about them heading into tomorrow night's game. Uh, against Michigan State. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Sam, but did you nickname just now Denzel Valentine the son? <laughs> I did not nickname him. I, I think, think did, I, I think used, he a, did. I think I used a metaphor or a simile uh, to discuss his importance. Denzel Valentine, a.k.a. the son. Yeah. Does this <laughs> does this end? Can you miss three weeks and still be a national player of the year in Orlando? Is there any precedent yeah. for that? Uh, good question. Uh, you? you can, in my opinion. We'll see what Michigan State does without him and when he comes back. But in theory, yes, Michigan State, they start with two roadies in Big Ten play. They'll play Iowa December 29th, and they're at Minnesota. Both of those are winnable. Iowa's obviously a much more uh, difficult game. I think he can, but the thing is now Providence missed a couple games with Chris Dunn, who just uh, had a virus, and it depends on what Dunn is able to do. Buddy Heald, my preseason pick for the National Player of the Year, which he is able to do with Oklahoma, who's been really strong. But absolutely, Valentine, with what he's done, if he can get back by, say, the return game on Iowa, Thursday, January 14th, if he's able to return by then, or the road game against Wisconsin on the 17th, 
get back in time for that, still return to the same level of production and keep Michigan State in the conversation for a number one seed. I think he will still be in the discussion for National Player of the Year. But this is going to be really intriguing because, to me, Valentine, Michigan State has some nice pieces, but Valentine means so, so, so much and has done so much for that team. We could have a super intriguing situation if if they take a dip, if they lose three games without him and then he returns and they're really, really good again to the point where they're right there with Maryland being the best in the league. Well, then how will we evaluate them down the road when it comes to seeding and it comes to his National Player of the Year credentials? A couple of interesting things with the calendar. There's never a good time to have minor knee surgery, but if you were ever going to have minor knee surgery as a college basketball player at Michigan State, now's probably the time to do it. Um, you know, listen, if, 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 if it is genuinely three weeks from today, that is, I mean, and that seems to be the long end of it. You know, like it's two to three weeks. So let's just, let's call it three. Well, that's January 11th. That means that um, he misses Oakland, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, and Penn State. But if he's able to come back two and a half weeks, he only misses three games. Like, you know, so. In the league, yeah. Yeah. So if you, um, if you only miss three games out of a 35 game situation, whatever it is, um, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll be right there for, this won't be the end of his national player of the year candidacy. If he, if he is back when expected and plays at the level, I was going to say been playing at, he hasn't been great recently, but at the, certainly at the level he's played at through in totality, uh, the first 12 games of the season beyond that, there's this, um, Michigan state. And I had paid attention to this earlier, uh, in the, uh, month just to sort of try to get a grasp on when are they really going to be at risk again to lose a game um because like how long will they stay number one in the country because i don't know that many people think they're actually the best team in the country but you mm-hmm. look at their resume and you go well, they got they got they should be number one you know they got to win over louisville they got to win over providence they got to win over kansas uh, if you ask people to for just hey who's the best team in the country i don't know that you'd get many michigan states but who's got the best resume in the country you get a lot of michigan states so here we are my point is this um, they don't play another currently ranked team until January 23rd. That's Maryland at home. They don't play another currently ranked team on the road until they get Purdue on February 9th. And so, um, you know, they, they, listen, you can lose to unranked teams. We saw Kentucky, Carolina, and Iowa State do it on Saturday. But my point is they don't have this brutal schedule upcoming that they're going to have to tackle without Denzel. He'll be back Um by the time most of their important, you know, big challenges are, are on the schedule. Yeah, I would note a couple things based off of what you said. Uh, in Providence, I mean, Chris Dunn has missed the last two games. So yes. if Denzel Valentine comes back uh, after three games, after four games, uh, it certainly doesn't preclude him from being the national player of the year, in my opinion. Um, second, I would look toward December 29th right now as the big test as far as whether or not Michigan State will stay undefeated and stay number one for an extended period of time. They go to Iowa. Uh, we've seen Iowa be pretty good thus far. I mean, they have wins over Marquette, Wichita State. Florida oh, that, that, State. that's a very losable game. Yeah. Even, like that, even, let me be clear. Game even with, think, even yeah. with Denzel Valentine, you could lose that game. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they took Iowa State to the limit uh, in Hilton. Uh, Probably should have beaten Iowa State in Hilton until uh, a bit of a collapse. But, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, Michigan State's probably going to end their unbeaten run during this stretch at some point without Denzel Valentine. The question is, does it happen Tuesday? Does it happen next Tuesday? Uh, You know, that's fine. Uh, Like, 
you guys said, they're probably not the best team in the country. They or they certainly don't have the highest upside in the country, at sure. least as far as uh, their potential to win a national title. But thus far, they've been the best. They've uh, they have something ridiculous like six uh, top 100 wins, I want to say. And a lot of those have been pretty solid wins, like the ones over Providence and Louisville. So and Kansas, obviously, that totally slipped my mind early in the year. Um so yeah, they're going to be fine. They're still going to be a one to two seed in the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. It's just uh, getting Denzel back and getting rolling again and hoping that you didn't peak too early in the year. If I were guessing, and that's all I'm doing, I would guess that they will start the season now 13-1 and one with a loss at Iowa. I, I, I bet you they'll be an underdog at Iowa now. Yeah, they should. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. I think they'll probably be an underdog at Iowa. Well, let's back up a little bit to uh, the weekend. Uh, Saturday, uh, Norlin and I were both in Brooklyn at Barclays Center for the CBS Sports Classic. It was a uh, North Carolina UCLA. UCLA like had a double digit lead in the first half. Uh, then Bryce Johnson got unbenched uh, and uh, put up a career high twenty seven points. He was really really good. I think he finished eleven or twelve from the field. Whatever. Uh, the more interesting development from that day was the one you were courtside for, Matt Norlander, and that is Ohio State's upset of Kentucky. Now. Uh, just so everybody understands, this is not uh, your typical Thad Mata Ohio State team. They entered 5-5, five and five, Ohio State did. First time in his career that Thad Mata's had a 5-5 five and five team. And so, uh, you know, they had lost at home to UT Arlington, lost at home to La Tech, lost a neutral to Memphis. Again, this is not a good Ohio State team. And yet uh, they jumped to a big lead on Kentucky, uh, end up winning uh, comfortably, even though it got uh, to be a one-possession game around the four-minute mark, uh, they pulled away uh, late. And so now Kentucky's sitting here, and they've got a win over Duke. But I don't even know what the win over Duke means because, like, Duke isn't great, and Duke doesn't have anything on its resume positive outside of maybe a, a win over Indiana. And Indiana's clearly not great. So, like, I, I think from the weekend, you can have really big questions about two of the teams that played in last year's Final Four. Uh, that's a young Duke team and a young Kentucky team because uh, though they still have, uh, use Sam's term from earlier, uh, tremendous upside, uh, a high ceiling, uh, they haven't, you know, it's December 21st and they really haven't done much positive uh, to date. What did you make of uh, Kentucky's performance against Ohio State in Orlando? I actually felt like in the aftermath of it, um, collectively, there wasn't as much shock as there should have been. I mean, Two ways to look at it. One, this kind of loss happens almost every single season with Calipari, and I say that in regard to going into the game, Ohio State was 73rd in Ken Palm. The win actually jumped him up to 55, but uh, with the exception of last season and the Anthony Davis team, Calipari has had at least one, and in most years at Kentucky, he's actually had two, three, sometimes even four losses to sub-70 Ken Palm teams. So UK usually takes on a, a bad loss, so it's not necessarily that shocking, I guess, in that regard. But but if you'd seen Ohio State play and they got absolutely romped by UConn and you look at their personnel and you look at what Kentucky had going in, I mean, nobody had Ohio State even being competitive in the game. I was hoping that they could keep it within single digits so I would have something of an interesting story to write afterward. And then they go out and they win. And granted, they shot really well. Calipari said afterward, he said, every team gets beer muscles against us, and meaning that basically when they play us, they go for broke. You know, they don't play scared. They just, they'll take shots. They'll play in certain ways that when Cal watches the tape or his assistants watch the tape, 
Uh, they don't see those tendencies show up whatsoever. And there's probably something to that because when you play Kentucky and you play Duke, I think more than any other teams, I think players get up for those games simply because of the program's coaches and talent involved. I think there's something definitely to that. With your, In regard to your thoughts on Kentucky and Duke's resume so far, you there is something to that. Um, as we're recording this podcast, the AP poll has not been released yet. I, it'll be pretty interesting to see where those teams fall. There is a case to be made uh, that neither should be in the top 15 because Kentucky's best win is over Duke. Indiana's not – listen, they got that Indiana win Duke did on its home floor, and Duke uh, has not lost a non-conference home game <laughs> in a generation. So it's it's insane what they've been able to do. And they did win comfortably over IU. Uh, but outside of that, VCU and Georgetown are nice wins, but Georgetown is looking worse by the week, to be honest with you. Um, doesn't help my mom in the case. I'm very aware of that. And then VCU, they're not as strong, I think, as we thought they would be. So – both good teams with a lot of potential, but you cannot say with any sort of conviction or any sort of evidence that Kentucky and Duke are top ten teams right now. No, um, there, there's just there's not much on the resume. Just some more breaking news as we're talking in real time. Tom Izzo has uh, officially been uh, nominated for the Naismith Hall of Fame. He's a first time nominee, um, so uh, I I would ex- I would expect he gets in. Right? I mean, how do you keep Tom Izzo out of the Hall of Fame? He's got more Final Fours in the past 20 years than any coach in college basketball. I would think he will get in. He's the only— Like, right away. Not wait. He'll be in. Do you think that they make him— That will happen this season in April. Tom Izzo will be inducted to the Hall of Fame. I I think think so. Other nominees, these guys have been nominated before. Uh, Bo Ryan, Eddie Sutton, Gene Cady, Raleigh Massimino, and Lefty Drizel. Uh, but obviously— that's crazy class. Yeah, but obviously uh, Izzo is the one— yeah, uh, Bo will. Okay, real quick. So as we well, I was going to say, do you think that they make him wait a year so that they can get Bo in, or okay. do you think that they go both? Like, what do you think they do? I think Bo will get in, and I think Tom will get in. I don't think Raleigh will get in. You said Lefty. I think Lefty is an inevitability, but I don't know. And then what was the fifth name, GP? Um, uh, oh, Raleigh, Tom, Eddie, Eddie Sutton, Eddie Sutton. Like he's way due, in my opinion. Should be interesting. Um, I don't know if they'll all get in. Izzo, I think, gets in. Like, he only has one title, but especially, like, here's the thing, like, especially if they really pick, make a push and get another number one seed, then, like, a really strong season is on the minds of the voters, and they and Michigan State has the National Player of the Year if Valentine comes back really strong. I think uh, I would expect him to get in this season. I would uh, I, I would think Bo gets in, and Izzo, I, Izzo's definite, as far as I don't know how you could vote otherwise. Uh, I would think Bo gets in, although it, clearly he didn't get in uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, those two, and I, you know, the other ones we could talk about forever. But uh, whatever. The interesting news out of that, in terms of first-time nominee Tom Izzo, Michigan State, first-time nominee uh, for the Naismith Hall of Fame. If you're wondering right now, I think we have seven active Hall of Fame coaches. Is that correct? Seven. Yes. It's it's Shashevsky. It's Mike Shashevsky. It's Roy Williams. It's uh, Rick Beheim. Pitino, Jim Beheim, Larry Brown, yes. John Calipari, and who am I missing? Oh, that's it. Cause Bo, yeah, because Bo isn't in. I was thinking it is his six because Bo is not in, and I always kept thinking that he is, but he's not. It's uh, right. All right. So with Kentucky, um, you know, it, here's the interesting thing: is that the talent's there, undeniably. Like if you held a draft tonight, Scal would, even though he's been a, a, a disappointment. We like let's just speak openly. Um, 
he'd still be taken in the top five or 10 of the draft, like tonight, right? Yeah. I talked yeah. to an NBA person uh, over the, somebody connected to the, the NBA uh, Saturday in Brooklyn. And they seemed mostly unconcerned about Scal. Like they said, you can still see all the stuff that you want to see on the offensive end. And his biggest issue, uh, maybe not his biggest issue, but among his issues is that he's really skinny. And this person actually said to me, you know, the great thing about skinny kids. And I said, what? And he said, they always add weight. They, they don't stay skinny. Like, you know, he'll be like, that's a, that is not a concern uh, for NBA people. And so uh, he's, he's still what he hasn't played well consistently or often, but in terms of the talent, it's still there. Murray, we saw what he can do when he gets going. Uh, Briscoe, like, they've got still possibly the most talented roster in the country, certainly one of the most talented rosters in the country. The only thing that's interesting to me about it is that, or the one reason if I were a Kentucky fan, I might be concerned, um, and Sam, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, is that you look at DeAndre Jordan, um, Andre Drummond, Drew Holiday, uh, Stephen Adams. Uh, the one thing these guys all have in common, they're relevant NBA players, if not great NBA players, who, were, who did one and done, but they weren't very good in their one year of college. Like, it just didn't happen for them. You know, DeAndre came off a ms bench. Drummond was a mess. Um, Stephen Adams was just a guy. Drew Holiday, I believe, averaged single digits in points. My point being, uh, sometimes you, you, like, you can... Like, I guess this wouldn't surprise me. You could look up in five years and Scal's an all-star and Briscoe's a rotation player for a good team and Murray's an all-star level guy, whatever, uh, or whatever, whatever you think they are. And you look back, you go, wow, why wasn't Kentucky great with those three guys on the roster? And it'll just be because it took them longer to progress. Like, Kentucky could help develop these kids into guys who become great pros someday, but actually never reap the benefits from it because they'll be gone before they get good. Does that make sense? You, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Um, as far as their NBA draft stocks, I mean, Scal's definitely fallen. I mean, he was a guy that I had at number one coming into the year. Sure. Uh, I think I'm going to move him down. I think I'm doing my, you know, progressions, my, uh, rankings right now basically uh, not on the podcast how far like, would you right take how, we how far them. would you take him down like how how far can I, I knocked him down to six i believe well that's my point um, like there's only yeah, so far like, you can drop him right no i'm not concerned about the body at all um the thing that concerns me is more the feel uh it's he doesn't really go toward the ball he doesn't attack the ball in the glass uh his defensive instincts aren't really there that yet and you have to remember that he's 20 years old like this is not a typical freshman like he is a year and a half older than Brandon Ingram, for instance. You know what I mean? Right. So that gives him a little bit less time to develop. Uh, the body will be fine. I'm not real concerned about that. He'll put on weight. Um, even if it's only up to like 230, that should be enough uh, to where he's fine. Um, yeah, though, the feel is the thing that I think concerns NBA scouts at this point the most. Um, and Jamal Murray, I'm not worried about at all. I actually have him at five. I mean, you, you watch that Kentucky game against Ohio State. Yeah, he was dominant uh, in the second half, but you even watch him in the first half. He should have had 40. Uh, Kentucky can't get out of his way, kind of. Like, he's so shifty, and their spacing of the floor in the half court is so bad that he doesn't really have any lane or crease to attack. So I think if he was in kind of a different situation where their floor spacing was a little bit better or if, uh, you know, maybe he played for Oregon or something like that, you'd be talking about a guy that's a surefire top five pick. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, do, we, do we think they're going to break through? Norlander, you saw him up close. Can you envision a scenario where we're in February and you go, 
I can't believe we spent that podcast December 21st wondering if Kentucky was going to break through. You know, I look at them, they're the best team in the country. That can happen. I have hesitations. I wrote about it afterward. Simply because Scal is not, listen, it's, college is a lot different than AAU. Scal is not the guy that we saw on the AAU trail with, with what he's being asked to do, what he can and what he can't do. Has no postgame whatsoever. It's stark to me. Um, he would absolutely, if we had a draft, be picked in the top 10 right now. But I will also say right now, he is uh, projecting to where, for the development of his game to be better, he should play a second year in college. It's probably not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. Kentucky would be so, <laughs> I mean, if, if they got Scal back next It'd year. It would be crazy to go back to school. How do you go back to school? Unless you just want to go back to school. Here's, here's the thing with, like, Scal going back to school. And I've talked to Matt about this before. Like, Kentucky's not really using him in a way that's conducive to his development right, right now. Right. Like, yeah, he's developing a little bit uh, more inside. He's probably getting a little bit stronger with his body. I mean, that's probably the biggest place where you're talking about that. But, you know, you look at his game, like he's a guy that NBA scouts and uh, even at Hoop Summit, this is how he was used when I scouted him. Like, he's a guy that's used in pick and pops, pick and rolls. Sure. And uh, that's where he's most effective on offense. And he's getting very little chance to do that right now. He's a pick right. and pop four, stretch four. That's what he is. Yeah. yeah, he's not being used that way. There's there's definitely something to that. I agree. But he's also he's he's meek Go in a lot of ways. Go get that money, son. Go get he, the money. Yeah. Uh, well, this we'll kid, see. Where... This kid was lying under a rubble. I, I get that, too. I know. I get go get that money. And, and, you know, Even if he falls to the end of the first round, go, go get, get that money. Go get the, and here's the other thing. And I, I can never stress this enough. College basketball fans, not all, but some, they reject this. But it's uh, it, it drives me insane. You can you can develop in the NBA too, like the oh you need to stay in school. Oh, you definitely can. Stephen Adams, DeAndre Jordan, Andre Drummond, Drew Holiday, like uh, it's all circumstantial. Depends on the guy, depends on the team, depends on where you develop. Absolutely, there's there's no doubt about that. Sometimes it's sometimes it's the best of both worlds, where it's like Kawhi Leonard needed all that time to develop at San Diego State, and by the way, then he went into the best possible situation ever, and now he's a top fifteen NBA player. He could yeah, scout could he could stay at Kentucky and develop like Alex Poitras. There's the abs- absolutely that can definitely be the case. Although, yeah, I mean, Poitras has kind of been uh, overrated from the get go. But regardless, um, Kentucky, in my opinion, is still the best team in the SEC. It's also lucky that the SEC isn't as good as we thought it should have been. It hasn't proven to be that. They can it can be a top five team. I can I can foresee a situation where that happens. I I've loved Jamal Murray from the start. I still love him. He was he was superb. Uh, Ulysses needs to be better. His role has changed from what they wanted him to do last year and what he did do last year. He was, Ulysses didn't, um, in my opinion, Ulysses was not, he didn't have as many jumpers contested. He just, it was a different team last year. And what he did with that group is different from the way it is this year. I'm still waiting for Ulysses to show himself to be a top five college point guard, which he has not shown himself to be, but which I think he can be. So Kentucky is really interesting. They're just not, uh, they're not an elite team right now, and Cal knows that. Um, and he's always, you know, I kind of led my column with, he's always been critical of his teams no matter what as as a way of, you know, maybe humbling them against the way the media and fans can prop up their teams. And sometimes maybe that was necessary to keep them motivated. But I, I really felt that he was uh, being pretty honest, uh, maybe even to his chagrin and just admitting that this is not a year ago. This team is not even close to being anywhere, uh, anything of a dominant group. And can they get there? I mean, they can for sure. They've got the talent to do it, but they're just a ways away from it right now. And specifically, consistently having 
six, seven, eight game stretches where we watch Kentucky and they win by double digits and say, okay, yeah, yes, that's a top three team. They're just nowhere near that yet. Matt Norlander, you tweeted this this morning. Gary Parrish ranks UCLA over Monmouth despite Monmouth's win over UCLA. Monmouth has fewer losses, UCLA's worst strength of schedule, and UCLA only has two road neutral W's to Monmouth's seven. And then you put a, a frowny face emoji. Well, you went Steve Harvey. You meant to say Monmouth, and you said UCLA. So I just – it was a bummer. Explain yourself. And let me, let me make something very clear before we get into this. Now, you explain yourself. You did the ranking. Okay, easy. This is easy to do. First off, let me be very clear. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with ranking Monmouth. You want to rank Monmouth? You can. doesn't matter to me. Like the, You can reasonably do it. i got to write the poll text this afternoon, and if you want to rank Monmouth – um, if, if people rank Monmouth, I won't, that's not what I will identify and tear apart. But the idea that you have to rank Monmouth, that's just There's silly. no have to. It's The it's, idea that they're clearly better than UCLA is, is an untrue. First off, let me just start with your points. Has fewer L's than UCLA. What does that even mean? Why does that matter? Uh, it clearly does because people, people rank teams based on number of losses more than quality of wins. In general, when you look at the pattern of the way that voters rank in the AP poll, that is undeniable. Look at look you, at the loss column, yeah. and if and teams only have zero, one, two losses, they will always rank them ahead of teams with maybe two, three losses, just because of the loss column, and not necessarily look at the wins. I'm not saying that you do that. I'm saying that is an undeniable voter groupthink pattern. That is without a doubt. It also, why the poll attacks exist because it's stupid. It's a dumb thing. Right now, Arkansas Little Rock has fewer losses than Kansas. Right. What does it mean? Kansas undeniably has a better record than Arkansas Little Rock. There's no yeah, doubt like about fewer it. Arkansas Little Rock is another team that, in theory, should be considered for top 25 because it's not like they have terrible – it's not their schedules. Like Arkansas Little Rock right now should be ranked ahead of South Carolina if you're considering both teams, and both of those are undefeated teams. My point is this. You're too smart to reference fewer L's as an arguing point for Monmouth over UCLA. Well, you know. I hold you to a higher standard, Norland. Okay. Okay, well, here's the thing. I think it's a relevant talking point specifically when those teams have played head-to-head and Monmouth has defeated you. The head-to-head, is a, that's a great place to start. And, and not only is it head-to-head, but it's head-to-head on UCLA's floor. That's a great place to start. I'm just saying when you say they have fewer L's, that doesn't mean anything. Okay. That's a meaningless thing. Okay. Um, the two, okay, so you reference Monmouth's seven wins on road or neutral courts. Which, which is, is the most in the country. But that's also a meaningless – it's not a meaningless stat. Like It's, it's an, not meaningless. Specifically when you look here's at a the, team how, like – Okay, let, let me ask you this. Okay. How many good teams – not even great, just good – even play seven road or neutral games by December 21st? That's that's irrelevant. The fact that – No, uh, it's not teams, irrelevant. You yes, can, it is because they, they haven't – The fact it, is that Monmouth has gone on and played those and they've won seven freaking times. No, they – but to, but to say that that's somehow uh, – no. You can't it, hold it against them that other big teams refuse to do that. I'm you not, cannot hold that against Monmouth. I'm that's unfair. I'm not holding against Monmouth. I'm just trying to – You are by not ranking them, GP. No, I'm trying to explain to you that stating that nobody else in the country has done that is, is meaningless because nobody – almost no other good team in the country would even have an opportunity to do that. UCLA yeah, – They have the opportunity. They choose not to. No, you're smarter than that. That's a dumb thing to say. If even if – It's okay to just say even if I'm Duke, not going to rank Monmouth because it's not a traditional thing that people are doing. And I totally get. No, don't be. No, let's let's talk about actually. Thing, don't be dismissive. Let's talk about it actually. Uh, if North Carolina wanted to play seven road or neutral games by December twenty first, they could not do that. They they can't do it. 
They have to have okay. so many home games in, in, in the Dean's Kind of flashing back to what we talked about last week. Yes, there is legitimacy to that point. Without a doubt, you got to schedule the home games because you got ticket packages and you got to do that. Right. I understand the system is built that way. That's, right. That's okay. my point. And like, like UCLA at this point, since we're talking UCLA and Monmouth, UCLA has only played five road or neutral games. So let me be clear. Monmouth winning seven of those is awesome, like independent of everything else. But that they're the only team they're, they're this is my point they're the only team in the country to do that more so because they're like the only quality team in the country that even has an opportunity to do that based off schedules can i just toss one team out, out at you real quick sure, here sure okay so let's look at baylor right baylor has only played two games away from home it has lost both of those games and i will grant you that the both of the teams that have played will likely be tournament teams in oregon and texas a&m right but then you look at baylor the rest of baylor's schedule it has one win against a team ranked 100 or 20th or better in Ken Palm. Right. And you measure that against Monmouth, who only has one more loss, okay? And I know the loss to Canisius is bad, but it came on the road. But a three-point loss to Dayton. And Monmouth wins. I mean, the resume is not even freaking close, man. So uh, it's not just the UCLA thing. No, my, my general point is this. I feel like, and I'm not accusing you, I, 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 I feel like there's just this groupthink aspect when people rank in the polls – and because Monmouth has that one loss to Canisius, it so outweighs the fact of all they've done away from home. This team's only played one home game to this point. And if you looked at the resumes right now and we created a 68-team field and you just – let's just call Monmouth the automatic bid winner out of the MAC. Mm-hmm. There is no scenario where they're anything worse than a four seed. So my point is if you're not worse than a four seed, that's a top 16 resume – you should be included in the top 25 poll. That's all. It's just let's not be afraid, especially in December, because we know Monmouth is going to lose games in the MAC. Let's just not be afraid to put them 24th or 25th. <laughs> there are resumes. Nobody's afraid. What are you talking? You talk about ranking I, I Monmouth, know. I, Monmouth honestly, like it's ISIS. I, GP, I honestly think people <laughs> are afraid because of what you do every Monday. I honestly think that has a genuine impact on the way some people cast their ballots, which I'm glad that it does, I guess. I, but, do, I do. Listen, it is an impact on some people. I even have coaches. Uh, there are coaches who will text message me who have to do their coaches ballot and say, Hey, can you send me over your top 25 and one? I I swear to God, I've had head coaches text message me just say, Hey, listen, I don't have time to deal with this. Just send me, I'm just going to copy yours. Right. (laughs) That is a fact head coach. So, um, but not everybody cares. And either way, I don't think people are scared. I think people kind of like the idea of mom. Why wouldn't you want to rank mom? It's they're they've, they've accomplished stuff on the court. The bench is great. King Rice looks like he could be a coaching star. Like I, I love the mama story. And again, I, I don't, I don't think there's anything dumb with ranking Monmouth. for me. Um, specifically like you, this is where you can get into my thought behind how I do what I do. And we can actually disagree reasonably. Like sometimes People disagree nonsensically, but th- this is something you could reasonably disagree with. I wouldn't even, I, I, and I won't even con- insist that I'm right. I see the flaw in this. You bring up Baylor. Here would be here's here's the way I get Baylor still ranked at eight and two with no good wins, except well they got a Vanderbilt win. That's a good win. Um, I have a hard time once you're in the rankings. I don't like dropping you out until you lose something you're not supposed to lose. You know that that's sort of where I'm at. Like so with Baylor. You know, I, I had them in to start the year. Um, I certainly had them in after they lost, I mean, after they beat Vanderbilt. And since then, the only loss, and it's a it's a lopsided loss, but it's a loss at Texas A&M, another team I have ranked ahead of them. So by my standard, they haven't, they haven't done anything except to lose games they were supposed to lose. And since they were already in there, 
I'll just keep them there. Now, some people might just say, well, that's stupid. Um, you rank you, you rank resumes. Go look at Monmouth. Go look at Baylor. Monmouth is better than Baylor. I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying from my perspective, once I've got once I got you in there, like I've got Baylor in there, you're gonna have to do something to remove yourself. And Baylor has the only thing it's done is lose a true road game at a Texas A&M team. I have ranked ahead of them. Does that so make my sense? question. All right, yeah. yeah. So here's my question. We can. I don't want to. We don't have to harp on this for 15 right. minutes. And okay. Sam is just chilling over there. But <laughs> so I, I, and just I don't. I tossed Malik Beasley into the top 50 of my draft rankings. There you <laughs> go. At least you're, so, you're getting, you're getting I productive don't work done. I don't expect this to happen. But let's be honest. There is a possibility that it could because Gonzaga has not looked good. Gonzaga opens its West Coast Conference play on Monday night, which is kind of crazy. It's December 21st, and the WCC is already starting league play. But if Gonzaga were to lose to Pepperdine on Monday night, would you? bump them out and is is monmouth basically 27 right now i i really never look past what i'm doing you know like i i I, if gonzaga loses pepperdine of course they're gone um and then i would and then what i'll do is i'll look at all the other i'll just i'll look at all the other candidates i'll I'll look at south carolina i'll look at monmouth i'll look at how about this do you want me to make you a promise norlander just you don't have to promise me anything my whole crusade here is that i feel as though small league schools mostly rightfully most of the time uh there is a prejudice against them because of the schedule that they play and so people are way 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 too hesitant to legitimately include them into the poll when we get to this time of year and in, i'd say in nine out of ten cases maybe that's justified but every couple of years there's a team that really deserves some sort of uh, consideration they usually don't get it, and Monmouth is just unprecedented. Someone tweeted out, it might have been Dan Walken, who you put on your radio show. Like, I don't know, and I don't have the time to research this. I don't even know if ESPN has the time to research this. I don't know if there's ever been a, a team right. from a one bid league that has beaten five major conference teams in college basketball before Christmas. Like, yeah. I don't even think this has ever happened before. So, the whole historical precedent of what Monmouth has done and the way that it's done it, and if you've watched them play, um, that's all I like, you know, it's, it's just, I feel like, uh, it's rightfully gotten a lot of love for its bench and those dudes are freaking awesome. Like the star Wars thing was great. I want to see how they incorporate the Steve Harvey thing into their next sideline bench thing. Like I want them to do it. I think they're fantastic, but from a basketball perspective, they do deserve a lot of credit, and that's basically where I'm coming. Yeah, from. I'm fine with that. What I, clearly, if Gonzaga loses, they're out, and then I'll look. I'll look at the other candidates, and Monmouth is clearly one of them. Again, let me repeat myself, and then we'll move on. If somebody thinks Monmouth should be ranked, I got that. That is not something I'll call dumb. It, there's nothing dumb about it. They have. Uh, uh, they've been good on the court, um, and I don't know that it's a top 25 resume, um, but I do know it's something that you could reasonably interpret as a top 25 resume so rank them if you want to smoke them if you got them uh butler beat purdue um they are probably one of the more pleasant surprises in college basketball this season just because um i think we knew they they could be good like top 25 good i don't think anybody thought um they would be a team that's sitting here um with a nine and one record uh victories over purdue uh, true road win at Cincinnati, uh, only lost to a Miami team that's also ranked, and a top 10 offense in the country. I, I wrote about this, I think, a week ago in the Inside College Hoops column. Last year, Butler was really good defensively, like number seven defensive efficiency and 82nd in offense. This year, they're sixth in offense, 96 in defense. You don't really see teams flip that like that from a year to year, do you? Not normally. I mean, Sam wrote about um, 
this i mean sam you want to do you want to take it first i've been kind of rambling here um sure <laughs> yeah so butler's been really good on offense this year like gp said uh how's that happen but- how do you go from a basketball perspective sam how do you go from being terrible at on on offense last year but great defensively to great on offense this year and and just okay defensively um inside of a year with a, a very similar roster well, they, uh, the, the roster did change in a pretty meaningful way. I mean, they lost uh, Cameron Woods, sure. who was a really big piece of what they wanted to do inside. He was a great rebounder. Uh, and without him involved, they play a pretty undersized lineup. Like, yeah, I know that Tyler Weidman is in theory uh, as big as Cam Woods, but I, I don't think he brings the same interior presence in a lot of ways. Uh, he brings kind of a different skill set as well because he's kind of a bigger body. Um and at the beginning of the year, Chris Holtman kind of said that he wanted to run. Instead, they have all these great guards. They have Tyler Lewis coming in to man the point. Uh, they have Kellen Dunham. They have Roosevelt Jones. You can do a lot of crafty little goofy things uh, in the half court. So why not get out and run? Why not do a total shift in philosophy? Plus, you have to remember Chris Holtman came in uh, at kind of a strange time last year sure. where he might not have been able to implement what exactly what he wanted to do. Uh, last year. So it's a really interesting situation. You guys are totally right. Uh, the question that I have about them is like you guys alluded to, it's the defense. The defense really ratcheted it up uh, against Purdue. They were awesome. Uh, and that's the first time this year they've really been awesome like that. Like even against Cincinnati, I thought they kind of struggled. Uh, even against teams like Miami, uh, Temple even, they were not that great. Uh, but against Purdue, they looked great. They denied all of the entry passes to uh, Hammonds, to Haas, to Swanigan. Uh, they forced Swanigan away from the basket. Uh, Rayfield Davis uh, struggled basically with Kellen Dunham. It was a really impressive performance. If they can come along on that end of the floor, I think this is a top 10 team. But, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that it's a done deal after one game necessarily. And uh, by the way, I've got four Big East teams in the top 15 of the top 25 and one uh, with Villanova being four out of the fourth out of those four. So um, that's not something I don't I don't think many people anticipated uh, heading into this season. Providence has been better than expected. They've got that uh, win over Arizona and a lone loss. Uh, to Michigan State. That's Michigan State with Denzel Valentine. Uh, Xavier has been awesome. And uh, Butler, uh, better than anybody anticipated. While Villanova, I think, still good, but uh, they do have two losses to the two best teams they've played. Let's look ahead a little bit before we get out of here. Uh, Norlander, I know it's the, the week of Christmas, so it's not a, a great week, but uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, does present uh, an interesting uh, group of games, right? Yeah, it does. So, um, we, I did a post, uh, back in the preseason that was the 30 best college basketball games, non-conference before Christmas came. And actually tomorrow I had four of those games listed, uh, Cal, Virginia, Vandy, Purdue, Kansas, San Diego state, and Iowa state, since y'all just a quick thought on each of these and I'll let you guys go. Cal, I, I don't see how it wins. It kind of needs to win, uh, just to establish credibility again. This team was my pick to win the Pac-12. It hasn't been awful. It's 9-2. and two. It had a, a bad back-to-back stretch. Since then, hasn't really played anyone legitimate outside of St. Mary's and got a nice four-point home win two weeks back. But if it can, if it can play Virginia and, and keep us 
uh, keep our attentions basically for the entire two hours and play them close, that will be good for them. Expecting them to go in and asking them to win at UVA, the number one team in Ken Palm right now, it's just it's way too much. Virginia looks terrific. It played out of its freaking mind against Villanova over the weekend. And uh, the Who's, we'll, we'll get to them at a, on another podcast. Vandy at Purdue, to me, is super interesting because you got a battle of the skylines there. Um, really the tallest legitimate matchup between top 25 teams we've seen so far in college hoops this season. Um, Purdue, let's just see how they how they react to getting you know beat by Butler and, and legitimately beat by Butler. I mean, Purdue could have had that game, wasn't able to hold on, and uh, and now it has to turn around and, and play its final non conference game against a Vanderbilt team that has been good but up and down. I, to me, this is a real litmus test for Vandy and the SEC because when you look at Vandy and you've seen them, they've looked good in spots. But the best teams they've played against, they've all lost. The other teams that they that they've played that they should beat, they've beaten easily. So let's just see what Kevin Stallings' team can do against the latest legitimate team it plays against. If Vandy gets smacked tomorrow by Purdue, and it is, you know, that is a possibility. This is a road game. Expecting Vandy to win, we shouldn't. But let's see if they can keep it close. If they don't, then we might have to call out Vandy for being a little a little too fraudulent. KU at San Diego State. San Diego State has been an utter disaster uh, i i don't understand <laughs> what has happened to that program it's seven and five uh it, it, it's never great on offense but it is unusually abysmal and it is five and five against d1 teams so uh, kansas should win that but let's remember san diego state has played kansas well in recent memory that i'm just i'm intrigued by it it's not a great game but san diego state needs that to basically salvage its season at this point and then iowa state cincinnati is actually the game i'm most interested in uh on tuesday because cincinnati typically you know since he gets overlooked just because it's never a flashy or sexy team but it has been pretty good so far lost to butler lost a, a game against xavier where xavier handled them but xavier looks looks great so far um since he could really use it iowa state got beat by UNI and and I don't know I have never really fully bought into Iowa State to this point um I I don't know what to expect from this game to me it's the biggest toss-up so it's the one I'm most intrigued about but point is uh college hoops fans definitely should be paying attention tomorrow night because it is a, a very very interesting slate in the last like really you know compact uh slate with a lot of really good games for more than a week Sam you got one you're looking forward to yeah, I'm looking forward to Purdue and Vanderbilt for sure. Um, Luke Cornett's out uh, with that knee injury still. So uh, the size lineup there is going to be a little bit different than what Vanderbilt's shown uh, throughout the beginning part of their season, at least. Uh, they've been going a little bit smaller. And the thing is that I think that Butler kind of gave them a little bit of a blueprint as far as how to beat Purdue. You try and deny uh, all entry passes. And with guys like Wade Baldwin and uh, Riley Lachance and Matt Fisher-Davis, they can kind of do that. They have pretty decent length and pretty decent perimeter defenders uh, to hold that down. The key is just going to be if Damian Jones shows, shows up. Uh, he's been a guy that really hasn't grown. I would say this year, he's still kind of the same guy. I would say that he was uh, over his freshman and sophomore years. And that's uh, not the worst thing in the world. I mean, he's a probable first round pick, uh, even if he doesn't show growth, but uh, Wade Baldwin's kind of taken that team over as the guy. Uh, and I'm, I'm really interested to see how Purdue comes back from that loss. I think that that could be a really fun storyline. And like Matt said, Iowa state Cincinnati is really interesting because uh, Cincinnati is going to just, 
pressure the heck out of Iowa State in a way that they probably haven't uh, gotten a chance to see yet, even this year, uh, even though they lost to UNI. So that's a fascinating game to me. I kind of think Cincinnati wins. Keep an eye on Xavier at Wake Forest. You know, I, listen, mm. I, th- I think Xavier's awesome, but Wake has won five straight. They own it's wins. A good call. They, they own wins over Indiana and UCLA, and it's a true road game. Like, true road games are tough. Like, you know, listen, yeah. San Diego State stinks, and Kansas is great, but, like, you go into that building, like, it ain't easy, you know? And and Wake Forest isn't bad. Like, Danny no. uh, Danny Manning's done a good job there. And uh, they're 8-2 and two right now, um, and, and, and they're at home. And uh, they've already proven good enough to beat an Indiana team on a neutral and a UCLA team on a neutral. And, uh, you know, Indiana isn't bad, not as bad as – as they've looked at times and UCLA, well, you know, we've seen them beat Gonzaga and Kentucky. So that, that Xavier at Wake Forest game, uh, as much as I, uh, which is by the way, the skip Prosser classic. Sure. And it's just awesome that they even play that yeah. because skip, yeah. the late skip, you know, coach, at obviously coach at both schools. So just keep an eye on that one. I, I don't know that I'm predicting a Wake Forest upset. Um, but, uh, I, I, there's nothing unique about watching a top 10 team lose a true road game to a quality opponent. And I think yeah. this, this qualifies as that a top 10 team, in a true road game against a uh, quality opponent. All right, well, let's yeah. get out of here. I think we've all got stuff to do. Uh, maybe try to do one more of these before. Well, what do you, uh, how do you want to do this, GP? Because it's a weird week, right? It is a I weird mean, week. We got, like Santa Claus comes, uh, when does Santa Claus come? Thursday night? Fri- he comes on Friday. Is it Friday? He comes Thursday night into Friday. Yeah. And so we know, like, Friday's Christmas. Yeah, I ain't, trying no to talk to you on, I ain't trying to talk to you on Friday. I know you're not. And, like, Christmas, I mean, maybe Wednesday. I say maybe. Wednesday. Wednesday feels right. You know, then me. you got Christmas. People travel on Christmas Eve. They got to listen to the podcast. Of course. So, hey, yeah. let's meet back here on Wednesday. And hopefully, as we're getting ready to do it, a National Player of the Year candidate doesn't have knee surgery and a uh, future Hall of Fame coach doesn't get nominated for the Hall of Fame yes. um, for the first time because uh, that, can, that can sort of mess things up. So we will talk again on Wednesday. Uh, until then, take care. <laughs>